you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi everybody, I'm John Raby. Here's what America thought about the old intro to this podcast. That intro is too long. Dude, that's too long. Too, too long. long. It's muy largo. What the hell, John? That intro's too long. You gotta make a new intro. Okay, here's the new intro. For more than 10 years on KPCC, I did a show about all the great people, places, and ideas of Southern California. Now I'm bringing it back, one piece at a time. From LA Studios, welcome to Off Ramp. Much better. Hey everybody, from LA Studios, I'm John Raby, and this is a bonus episode of Off Ramp. I'm taping on Tuesday morning as we're processing the news that a draft ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court supports overturning Roe v. Wade, which has protected a woman's right to an abortion in the U.S. for almost 50 years. A decision to overrule Roe would lead to abortion bans in roughly half the states. Two years prior to the 1973 Supreme Court decision, a woman from Eagle Rock made it her mission to take abortion from the back alley to the living room. Her name is Carol Downer, and she helped create an underground network of unlicensed women who performed home abortions. She wrote books on female anatomy, went to jail, and ran a women's health and abortion clinic in Hollywood, which burned down in 1985. In 2017, Chris Greenspan filed a profile of Downer for Off-Ramp. Before I play it for you today, you should know that it will be disturbing to some people because it includes frank discussion of abortion and somewhat graphic clinical descriptions of abortion procedures. Carol Downer was born in 1933 in Oklahoma, but she's lived in Los Angeles since she was a small child. By the late 1960s, Downer was politically involved in the Chicano movement, fighting gentrification in East L.A., but she wasn't active in the women's movement at first. The women at UCLA were having a protest because there was no birth control services on the campus. And I, right in this very living room we're sitting in, watched it on TV and said, well, what are they expecting? Something for nothing? Over time, Downer felt forced to re-examine her thinking. Well, it's called having six kids (laughs) and not having that much money and struggling And I was very lucky in that there was a women's movement there for me to become part of. And I jumped in with both feet. Downer had her first abortion in 1963 after already having four children. The first time was when I had just separated from my first husband after a considerable period of marriage counseling to finally arrive at this decision to make this big, big step. What do you know? I'm pregnant. (laughs) So she set about finding someone who would perform an abortion. I was in a typing pool, and I had joined in an action with the black women because they were being discriminated against. So we were close friends. And I asked them, and they referred me to an abortionist uh, on Central Avenue in downtown Los Angeles. I walked upstairs and walked into this completely empty room, and there was a nurse there, or at least I presume she was a nurse. And she took me in the other room, and all it had was an obstetrical table, you know, where you put your legs in the stirrups. And she said, take your clothes off and lie down. And I did. And then the person, I presume, was a doctor, came in, and he proceeded to give me what they call a DNC. In a DNC, the cervix was dilated and metal curettes were used to scrape out the uterus. Downer's DNC was performed without anesthetic and was extremely painful, 
but she counts herself as one of the lucky ones. Some abortionist made the woman give him her panties. He kept them as souvenirs. Others required that they let them have sex with them. Other times they were just blindfolded and taken places and had no idea and left semi-abandoned when everything was done, and then they kind of had to find their way back, and some died. Other times abortions were done with caustic liquids, folk remedies, and makeshift pokers. Pinning down just how many women died is difficult. The Guttmacher Institute says that in 1930, there were 2,700 cases in the U.S. where abortion was the official cause of death. By 1965, it was 200, which Guttmacher attributes to antibiotics, but the Institute also stresses that those are official deaths. The real numbers were probably much higher. Downer's quest to make abortion safer began in the early 70s. She joined the L.A. chapter of NOW's abortion committee and met a West L.A. man who was giving abortions named Harvey Carmen. He didn't have a medical license, but he had developed a less intrusive way of aborting an early-term fetus. Instead of the coal steel, he had a thin plastic cannula that could be inserted into the uterus and then attached to a 50cc syringe that he pulled back to develop suction. Importantly, it could be done at a woman's home. Downer dubbed it menstrual extraction, and in 1971, she began teaching it to other activists. Downer says the procedure was only performed when a woman's period was due, and they wouldn't take a pregnancy test beforehand. That way, everyone involved had plausible deniability. Dr. Brian Nguyen at USC's Keck School says menstrual extraction is not safe enough by today's standards. He says there could be bleeding and infection, so it's a job for trained professionals in a clinical setting. Nguyen admits he hasn't seen cases of complications from menstrual extraction, but because it's a secretive procedure, complications may go unreported. Nguyen says it's still being practiced abroad, and Downer says it's still happening here in the U.S. Despite medical concerns, Downer and her collaborators felt in the early 70s that it was safer to have a menstrual extraction performed by women for women. Then we needed to expand, so we called a public meeting of women to come and talk about opening up an illegal abortion clinic. The turnout was good, but the stigma was high. They were almost fainting just even hearing about it and seeing this equipment. So I said, well, just a minute. She took out her speculum and did a practical demonstration on her own body with the suction equipment. And all of that, you know, feelings of disgust and fear and everything that they had just was gone. Downer had most of her direct involvement in teaching menstrual extraction before Roe v. Wade in 1973. Once the law changed, she opened the Hollywood Feminist Women's Health Center with a licensed doctor on staff giving traditional DNCs, as well as providing birth control and minor outpatient treatments. But she continued to give counseling and training to new menstrual extraction groups because there were, and still are, obstacles, like the parental consent laws that exist in 37 states. If they go into the clinic and their parent is there and signs for them, fine. Otherwise, they have to go through a judge. Or the Hyde Amendment from 1976, which said, Women are going to get abortions, but at least the federal government should not have to pay for it. So indigent women were not able to get help. They have to pay cash. And the Texas law that just a few years ago required doctors performing abortions to have admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles. In situations like in Texas, for example, where many doctors are flying in from other places, of course they can't meet that requirement. 
and for abortion clinics to meet surgical center requirements. Meaning they have to have a certain width of halls, they have to have certain uh, emergency equipment that is not at all relevant to the abortion procedure. And ever since Roe versus Wade, clinics have had to contend with protesters. What happens, more often than you would think, the people who are picketing us actually show up to get abortions. And when they do, people ask them at the clinic, they say, well, I thought you were against abortion. Uh, Why are you here? How does that square with you being out in front picketing our clinic every week? And now you want to have an abortion. You know what their answer is? Well, in my case, it's different. And speaking with us from her home in Eagle Rock, 44 years after Roe versus Wade, Downer says women may take abortion into their own homes again. It's looking that way, at least in certain parts of the country. The places that provided abortion pre-Roe v. Wade will stay there. California probably be one of those states, you know, New York and the South will be where they're not available. So we're going to have a situation where women have to travel or there are pills that if they can obtain them, they can give themselves an abortion or they can use herbs or they can use menstrual extraction. But I think one way or another, abortion will continue as it always has. For Off Ramp, I'm Chris Greenspawn. That piece originally aired in April of 2017 on Off Ramp. When we come back, I'll get on the phone with Carol Downer, 88 years old and still going strong for her reaction to the news out of the U.S. Supreme Court. This is Off Ramp. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. You're listening to a special edition of Off-Ramp from LA Studios. I'm John Raby. A few seconds ago, we listened to a profile that Chris Greenspan did of Carol Downer back in 2017. But given the news of the day, I needed to call up Carol and find out what she's thinking about the U.S. Supreme Court and abortion. I thought I was prepared. I mean, I have been expecting this. And actually, I have to say, even when Roe v. Wade was first passed, our abortion rights group that had been working uh, for this um, didn't expect, you know, for it to last very long because we had seen government, you know, change its mind on these issues, you know, before. Um, But nevertheless, with all of that preparation, uh, when I heard the news that this memo had been leaked, um, it was like a kick in the gut. And you know what? (laughs) I realized that that's not just an expression. It actually is exactly that for all women in this in this society, you know, a, a real physical uh, attack on us. They are they're cautioning that this is a draft opinion that minds can be changed. Do you do you hold out hope? You know, I certainly would hope that it would be changed uh, to the better, 
but it is exactly as we had um, predicted. You know, it's going to um, throw it back to the states, which is going to put us into the same confusion and muddle that that we were before, and many, many, many females and their families are going to suffer. Is anybody organizing the kind of in-home abortion that you outlined in uh, your in your talk with uh, Chris Greenspan? I would say that the knowledge of how to do this is very widespread, and the numbers are also widespread. They're still um, spotty. I mean, this is not, you know, I it's hard for people to start um, doing, you know, these things until there's an actual need for them. But um, people are 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 very much uh, aware of what's coming down, and they are making their uh, calculations and preparations, and they're networking. Um, I would say there's, you know, it's tripled or quadrupled. A lot of attention is being put to uh, uh, pill distribution at this point, too. What's the political course of action that uh, the pro-choice side should take right now? Well, I think that um, we have to have a multi-pronged approach. And I think that's correct, because not every woman is, uh, you know, prepared to make the kind of commitment either of time or you know, of her own potential uh, safety to um, to pursue, and that's as it should be. So I think that uh, one one way, and and the lasting way, the way that uh, certainly would um, make this whole question moot, is that um, females need to start voting for their you know their rights. I mean, Democrats as a group, as a as a party, are are very in favor of women having reproductive rights. But that doesn't mean that every Democratic legislator uh, votes to keep abortion legal. And it's enough to uh, enable the uh, Republican side of uh, our, our our country. Um, you know, having um, a lot more influence than they should. And we need to get rid of those um, folks, those Democrats, that are, um, you know, good in so many other ways that they're, um, the people in their districts excuse them. I'm, I'm only speaking of a handful, but they need to be given the, the exit. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us to update the story. You're welcome. Carol Downer, now 88 and on the line with me from Eagle Rock today. If this sort of reporting is important to you, please subscribe to Off Ramp wherever you get your podcasts. Next episode, something a bit different, we get an exclusive look inside Liz Taylor's home from photographer Catherine Opie. What did she learn? I really felt that Richard Burton was the love of her life. 
There were so many tender photographs throughout the home. And what about the design and decor? Well, lavender, plush, really comfortable. You sit on Elizabeth Taylor sofa and you're really happy to be on that sofa. That episode of Off Ramp drops on Friday. Our theme music is from Fesslian Studios. From LAS Studios, I'm John Raby, and I'll see you next time on the Off Ramp. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.